Welcome to The Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. Today, our episode will be on the physiology of the clotting cascade. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting talk. And I think if you're going to listen to any talk, this is probably the, one of the most important talks to listen to because it ties into disease, ties into potential therapeutics. And if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand the diseases. What do you think? I exactly agree because the clotting cascade can be easily ranked as one of the nightmares of all medical student topics, isn't it? Exactly. But we've got a trick and we hope this trick makes your life much easier to learn when it comes to this subject area if you put it like that Hamid this trick better be good oh it's good it's okay. good stay tuned okay um, all right well let's get started so let's talk about broadly what are some of the key phases of the clotting cascade like phases mm-hmm. you know being used lightly um, so do you want to maybe tell the audience what you know what these phases are when we talk about the clotting cascade it's just basically the formation of the thrombus or the clot isn't it That's yeah correct and so it goes through three phases the initiation the amplification and then the propagation of the thrombus or the cessation of the thrombus depending on you know the balance as well okay before we go into the really nitty-gritty stuff what is like the broad are they are these like hormones are they enzymes what are they um, what what are the these all these clotting factors that we mentioned in this you know complicated pathway so i believe there are enzymes that are synthesized in the liver and then they go undergo an activation so one enzyme so it's a proenzyme becomes an enzyme the activated form mm-hmm. and then that triggers another thing to get activated and yeah. then another thing to get activated and so that's the general overview and there's three main chunks of it so there's yes. an intrinsic pathway an extrinsic pathway and the point where the both of them meet and go down which is called the common pathway perfect yeah that's that that's exactly right can you just clarify some of the nomenclature that we'll be using as well in particular which ones do you so you know how some enzymes are called let's say plasminogen is that the active form or is that the inactive form? okay yeah so the gens are always the inactive forms and so let's say plasminogen will be activated into plasmin which Mm -hmm. is the actual thing but that's not that isn't actually part of the clotting cascade is it so in in this particular case we would be talking about so that's uh, fibrinogen fibrinogen to fibrin fibrin or prothrombin to thrombin yeah so the pro can be used as a um to to Mm -hmm. show that it's an inactive form as well Mm. is there another i've seen them use a what does that mean yeah so also let's say if we've got factor 10 then factor 10 is actually the pro form and the actual activated form is called 10a yep. and so if you see anything that has the a at the end that's the active form which will then go on to trigger something yep. so essentially with the actual whole cascade you're going to see lots of numbers and actually you only need to remember one because one always gets converted to the other form so it's going to be one uh, sorry it's going to let's say for example it's going to be 10 converted to 10a mm-hmm. etc and it's it's exactly the same so all you need to do is just remember that gets converted to a from the memory part you just cut out the a's and then just remember the numbers themselves yeah mm-hmm. i mean that's how i learned it in, mm-hmm. in the first place okay well, you mentioned that there's intrinsic and extrinsic factors let's start by talking about the extrinsic factor because that's a relatively simpler yeah the shorter one the shorter yeah. pathway mm-hmm. and so i think in in the activation of of the intrinsic or the sorry the extrinsic pathway mm-hmm. you need to have some tissue damage and that tissue damage exposes a tissue factor mm-hmm. which is this 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 uh, molecule or or agent that then brings about a whole heap 
of um, other activations. For example, it binds to factor seven. Now, factor seven is really important to remember for the extrinsic part. I, I keep getting the two mixed up. So yeah, fa uh, tissue factor is really important for activating factor seven, which is part of the extrinsic pathway. Yeah. And then factor seven then activates what, Andy? 10. Yeah. And 10 is the common point where all where both pathways meet. So, so that's where they will converge. And if you have a problem remembering which one it is, Roman numerals, it's X. And one of the lecturers came up with the method of saying X marks the spot. So exactly. That's the com that's the spot where the common pathway begins. So that's that's actually really good. All right. And then what happens? So once factor ten is activated, what then happens so as a consequence? Ten will become ten A, and I think it requires a cofactor five yes. A to come to it to yep. to cause something. What what was that something again? So ten A. Yep. In conjunction with fact activated factor five, goes ahead and converts prothrombin to thrombin. Okay. And then thrombin then goes ahead and activates fibrinogen so it's an inactive yeah. to fibrin yeah and then we can get into some of the details as well mm -hmm. but broadly speaking factor 10 and factor 5 are required to convert prothrombin to thrombin and then thrombin does a whole heap of stuff but it's one of its important activations is fibrinogen to fibrin and then fibrin is when you start forming the clot it's not as simple as that because we haven't mentioned the extrinsic pathway yet yeah so maybe so um, should we talk about the extrinsic pathway so the, the inch oh my the, god the intrinsic pathway okay so the intrinsic pathway is the longer of the two and yes in some diagrams it begins from number 12 isn't it yeah so it goes from 12 to 12a which activates 11 to 11a and then which activates 9 to 9a with the help of 8 mm -hmm. and then they meet at 10. Yes. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. With um, with the function of factor 8 and 9, then you start forming factor 10 and then that's the common path where X marks, marks the spot. And so then that leads to, you know, activation of thrombin, activation of fibrin, and then you form a clot. But let's talk about what happens with fibrin as well because fibrin doesn't suddenly become a clot once it's towards the end of the pathway there's another factor that's required for stabilization of the fibrin polymers that are formed as a consequence i think what you're meaning by that was that the fibrinogen gets converted to fibrin by thrombin and that actually forms monomers yes but then eventually they actually go with the help of this factor called factor 13 mm -hmm. they form polymers and so there are these multiple um, multiple length molecules which yeah. will actually make the clot a lot more stable yeah exactly and before we sort of move on from the intrinsic factor remember how we said broadly speaking there's the initiation and initiation is often started by the extrinsic pathway which is you know you got to yeah. have some sort of damage to the endothelial cells lining the blood vessels to start bleeding and mm -hmm. so initiation is via the extrinsic pathway but the amplification where does the ampl amplification come from i believe the amplification is just like any other good old feedback loop there are factors that go back feedback into the whole process mm -hmm. to make just one factor so one factor triggers two and two factors end up triggering three or four other factors just to make this whole yeah. process spread a lot quicker and widespread um so this one i believe you're talking about from the activation uh, so one of the amplification factors is thrombin yeah and another one that we can't forget i mean you okay. wonder you know why does the body need both extrinsic and intrinsic pathway yeah. extrinsic as we mentioned is for the initiation intrinsic is for the amplification okay yeah. so the intrinsic pathway starts amplif uh, amplifying the the response that, that you get to mm -hmm. as a result of injury but then we come to the whole point of thrombin and and, and as we mentioned once once you perform thrombin, thrombin plays a huge role in lots of different activating lots of and, and amplifying lots of different factors. So maybe 
can you just go through there's actually really five key things that thrombin does yeah. can you maybe go through them and, and yeah. just clarify for us okay so one of the first main things that it does is thrombin converts the fibrinogen to fibrin so that's the first function the second function is it provides an amplification of coagulation so one of them is for example it activates factor nine sorry factor 11 mm-hmm. which will increase uh, increase production of factor nine that's and right. then that then increases the production of factor eight and then that factor eight is important for the production of factor 10 and guys this can be really overwhelming don't stress we've got a very easy mnemonic to help you remember all, all the intrinsic pathways thrombin is important for that but it does other stuff as well doesn't it there was also it activates factor 5 to 5a as well which was important in number um in, in activating or helping with factor 10 and yeah because it complex with with factor 10 and then that enables you know trans uh, more thrombin production from prothrombin what um, else uh, another thing is that it potentiates platelet aggregation yes so that's yeah. that's part of primary hemostasis which we'll go on to a bit later and then also one of the final functions is that it binds to thrombomodulin which is on the endothelial cell surface to activate protein C, to yeah. which actually yeah. undoes this clot. Yeah, and there's a reason for that, right? You can't suddenly have this massive clot form formation, right? So it's this pathway is so smart that it's got inbuilt mechanisms in the form of activating protein C, which we'll talk about, you know, in, in a moment. So by activating protein C, you're actually minimizing how much clot is formed, and you're actually maintaining the clot in in an area where it's appropriate, as opposed to in the entire vasculature. <laughs> Um, all right, so we've talked about thrombin, Andy. Let's talk about the role of platelets within the clotting cascade, not within other sort of clotting pathways. Let's talk yep. about the clotting cascade that we're talking about. So what do platelets, what role do they play? Platelets, they act as to accelerate the coagulation process. They provide membrane phospholipids, which act as docking stations for the for the coagulation factors, don't yeah. they? So for example, if we look into, if you, if you pull out your copy of the, um, the entire extrinsic and intrinsic coagulation pathway you'll notice that platelets they play a role in converting the 9a along with the converting the 10 to 10a and then from that point on 10a to convert prothrombin to thrombin that's yeah. also another thing that the platelets play a role. yeah but the whole point is that they play an important role in accelerating the clot formation in the context of the the clotting cascade that we're talking about now clotting can't just happen uncontrolled i mean it can in some diseases which we'll talk about later but there must be some regulatory mechanisms in place to keep it uh on the check mm-hmm. so let's talk about um coagulation inhibiting factors there's a couple of them that we need to know about should we start off by talking about antithrombin so with antithrombin it inactivates uh inactivates serine proteases which is principally for factor 10a as well as um thrombin and I think, so serine protein is, yeah. is pr- pretty much the name of the another name for the enzymes in the cascade so enzymes that convert one clotting factor to another type um that's what a serine protease is but mm-hmm. uh antithrombin predominantly targets um 10a and and thrombin yep. is there anything else no with um with when when we get into our clinical days we're going to see this drug called heparin a lot and yeah. so heparin has a role in the antithrombin do you mm-hmm. want to go go through what exactly yeah that is? yep sure so antithrombin by itself it, it works okay but it's not as efficient so the body or the endothelial cells produce heparin or heparin and heparin which you can get it in the synthetic form or you can get it in the you know or naturally found in the body that increases the activity of antithrombin significantly making the entire process much more efficient so it can stop the propagation of 
a clot once it's formed. It doesn't dissolve a clot, but it just stops it from um, propagating even further. Oh, okay. So, so there's mainly tenne and thrombin. That exactly. So if a, if a clot is formed, right, it's mm-hmm. not going to stop dissolve it. There's something else that's important for dissolving those clots. Yep. But what it does is it prevents the propagation of that clot any further. Mm. But antithrombin isn't the only factor, right? There's some yep. vitamin K dependent ones. Do you remember what those are? That is C and S. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And how do they work? So they're both made in the liver, and so they're activated, or protein C itself is activated by a thrombin, thrombomodulin complex. Uh, if you could just cast your mind back in a few seconds ago, we mentioned that thrombomodulin is found on the surface of endothelial cells. So once thrombin binds to that and it forms a complex, it's going to activate protein C to stop or like uh, to use as a negative feedback to actually wind down the entire process mm. of um, coagulation. Yeah, and what does it affect? That one, I think it was affecting factor 5A and 8A. Was that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's actually targeting... The common pathway but remember factor eight is part of the intrinsic pathway so it's affecting both the common and the intrinsic pathway in this yeah. in this case and also protein c has another function i believe it's to actually enhance the fibrinolysis by in inactivating tissue plasminogen activating inhibitors yeah which we'll talk about next when we talk about um the fibrinolytic pathways yeah so do we only does the body really only have two mechanisms or there is there another mechanism as well did, which one did you have in mind i think there's um the tissue factor in uh, sorry tissue factor pathway inhibitor or tfpi and i think that also inhibits factor 7a 7a is found where extrinsic yes part of the extrinsic part and also yeah. inactivates factor 10a which is the common pathway yeah so there's two the protein c and protein s target mainly the intrinsic pathway and the common pathway and tissue factor pathway inhibitor targets the extrinsic pathway and the common pathway. so you've got two different mechanisms for each each of the pathways that makes sense because tissue factor was what was key to actually activate seven in the first place wasn't it yeah and if it's a tissue factor pathway inhibitor the name tells you which side Mm. it's it's affecting so those factors were what inhibit a coagulation from occurring or or tone it down but what actually breaks down the clot yeah so there's the body also has mechanisms for breaking down clots because you don't want to have a massive clot in one of your major arteries i mean there are you know that's a pathology in itself Mm -hmm. because it can cause ischemia and it can compromise circulation so there are fibrolytic pathways at, at play as well to keep the actual clot or the size of the clot in check as well mm. and the key player here is plasmin plasmin and plasmin is produced from plasminogen now the question is what are some of the enzymes that or one of some of the factors that activate plasminogen to plasmin do you want to maybe talk about that a, a little bit is that the thing called the tissue plasminogen activator that's the one yeah plays a role in converting tissue plasminogen to plasmin and then plasmin goes and degrades the fibrin polymers that are formed yeah and so it breaks starts breaking down the clot aside from that plasmin can also affect uh, factors five and factor seven as well so it can affect the, um, some of the intrinsic pathways as well yeah but really, plasmin is the key player here. It's really important um, mm-hmm. for doing that. At the same time, you can't suddenly have plasmin chew up every clot in the body or compromise circulation. So are there uh, any factors at play that can minimize the activity of um, plasmin? So plasmin's controlled by... Uh, so plasmin is actually inactivated by plasma alpha-2 antiplasmin or alpha-2 macroglobulin yes so those are the two that i'm aware of yeah and i think they're produced if i'm not mistaken by the liver as well so you cannot see that if you have liver damage or end-stage cirrhosis not only will you not be able to produce clotting factors you also won't be able to produce and if you guys are not sure about 
what we're talking about at the moment, we refer to our gastrointestinal lectures, we covered this quite quite well. You also have, not only are you not able to produce clotting factors, but you're, you're not producing inhibitors of plasma. So that's where you're at an increased risk of bleeding as well. That's pretty much the Second, clotting cascade, which is also called secondary hemostasis, yeah. isn't it? Um, is there a mnemonic that we can use to memorize all of this? Definitely. Actually, you're the one who told us that you've got some good ideas at the very beginning, so it's time for your moment to shine. Yeah, oh, it's, well, it's not. I'm not going to um, take credit for it. So there's two good mnemonics. One is that X marks the spot. Yes. So X is the common pathway. The now, beginning of the common pathway. The beginning of the common pathway. Yeah. Now, for many, many years, when I've you know been trying to get wrap my head around the clotting cascade and also some of the drugs that work, I've really struggled with the intrinsic pathway and memorizing it. But one of our amazing hematologists came up with this really good mnemonic that I, I can't. It's, it's stuck in my head now. Do you want to say what it is? For what I know is that the intrinsic pathway is you've got number 12 going to 11, then to 9, involving 8, and then finally 10. So, yes. you know, I'm here like writing it down on a paper like 10 times a day. Yeah, so exactly. What, do, you have, do you have anything to make yeah. my life a bit easier? So the trick is tenant. Tenant. Yes. yes. As in, you know, the five tenants. So the way it's spelled is T-E-N-E-T. Now, T okay. stands for factor 12. E for factor 11, N for factor 9, the next E is for factor 8, and um, T is for, the last T is for the factor 10, which is the common pathway, so where X marks the spot. So a tenant is is a good way of remembering it. So not only does it tell you what clotting factors are involved, it also tells you the order of those clotting factors as well. So I hope that really makes everyone's job of memorizing this really easy. Um, So yeah, it's quite good. Just before we move on though, it's also worth mentioning that factor 7, which is, as we mentioned, part of the extrinsic pathway has the shortest half-life of any of those clots the other important point to remember is that this is more of a clinical correlate is that if you give let's say warfarin which is a vitamin k antagonist you have to bear in mind that protein c and protein s which are anticoagulants because of you know they they inhibit the clotting factors involved as we mentioned they have a shorter half-life than the other clotting factors that are affected by um by uh, vitamin k antagonists like warfarin so when you give warfarin at the start of treatment, patients at an increased risk of clot formation because you've suddenly lost all the protein S and protein C. So that's why you need to monitor patients for clots at that early phase until warfarin kicks in. And also you need to give prophylactic clexin therapy, for example. If you're not sure what these are, um, hopefully we might have a chance to talk about this in the future, in, in a future episode, but just keep that in mind as a um, clinical correlate. We're almost finished with, with this process of this whole complex cascade process, but there's one, so we mentioned that there is secondary hemostasis. Is there a primary? Yes, there definitely so is. Um, so the secondary hemostasis was this entire process of involving 10s, 12s, as well as like 7 factors, and then finally converting this fibrinogen to fibrin. Mm. But the purpose of this is all to do with actually stabilizing a platelet, which is involved in the first primary hemostasis. So we'll, we'll go through that. Yeah, let's talk through the primary, yeah. and that really finishes off this entire mm. topic. So primary hemostasis begins with an injury let's say you've got a damage to a vessel wall and so that damage to the vessel wall will expose the collagens that's usually in the let's say the sub muco sub endothelial surface Mm. so you've got damage to the endothelial cells and that exposes collagen so that's the injury process which will cause von willebrand's factor to bind 
to these collagens. Yeah. And so what happens then? The, the second process is called adhesion, isn't yeah. it? Um, so adhesion would be that the platelets that float on by notice these von Willebrand factors, which are bound now to the endothelial, uh, sorry, yeah, the, the collagens, mm. and then they'll start to come and stick on to the von Willebrand's factor. So, so that's, the platelets start sticking on to yep. the von Willebrand's So factors. that's a term that you need to know. It's called platelet adhesion. Mm. It's important to distinguish it from platelet aggregation, which we'll talk about in a sec. And what receptors are involved? Because uh, the reason I'm, I'm mentioning the receptors mm. is because they are potentially therapeutic targets Exactly. As well. And so it binds to the von Willebrand factor through glycoprotein 1B. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So 1B. And then the perfectly normal platelet, once it's bound to the von Willebrand factor, will get activated it will change its shape and form and then it will release two things so one is calcium which actually is important in secondary hemostasis Mm -hmm. um, and also adp Mm -hmm. the adp will then express a different uh help express this binding target called glycoprotein 2b3a which we'll go into in a second so once that happens platelet aggregation will occur wouldn't it yeah pretty much what is that so yeah um so once we like you mentioned once one around factor binds to glycoprotein 1b you get changes in platelet structure which releases adp yes adp then binds to an adp receptor okay yeah. and so what happens in in that case is that then you get expression of like you mentioned glycoprotein 2b and 3a now glycoprotein 2b and 3a can then bind to fibrinogen which as we mentioned fibrinogen was part of the secondary homeostasis as well but fibrinogen is really weak like you mentioned the fibrinogen enables cross-linking of different platelets within the within the vicinity and so you start forming this platelet plug around the site of injury in addition to that you can uh, the change the activity of adp can also cause increase in thromboxin a2 which is uh, produced by the cyclooxygenase pathways okay and that can then further um uh, encourage aggregation it can also cause vasoconstriction so it slows down the blood flow which makes sense because you don't you don't want to lose too much blood as a consequence of this injury so not only does thromboxin enable more platelet binding and activation it also clo- um, slows down blood flow to minimize to excessive blood loss yes and so you form this temporary plug but like you mentioned that plug isn't stable and so the role of platelet is important in it also its connections to the secondary hemostasis pathway which is what we essentially talked about yeah, um, and so previously. also the secondary hemostasis pathway is to convert that weak linking fibrinogen mm. into the strong fibrin to yep. to stabilize the entire thing. Exactly. So that's pretty. So we mentioned both primary, which is the whole platelet business, and secondary, which is the you know the intrinsic yeah. extrinsic stabilization of that primary hemostasis. Mm. And then we also talked about how the body controls mm. or prevents excessive clot formation, but also dissolution of fibrin that's formed is there anything else you want to add that's pretty much covering the basics but i just wanted to find an opportunity to just mention as a medical student one thing that probably isn't taught that well is the difference between an antiplatelet as well as a a anticoagulant yeah yeah. and this terminology sometimes i found can be even used interchangeably between uh, clinicians which actually technically isn't correct Mm. because if you think of it an antiplatelet what it does is actually it stops certain pathways in the primary hemostasis and so let's say aspirin, it stops the cyclooxygenase to, to produce the thromboxin A2. Or clopidogrel antagonizes the ADP receptor, for example. Exactly. Yeah. So that's in the primary hemostasis, whereas let's say warfarin or heparin, they work in the secondary hemostasis mm. on the clotting cascade. So they're pretty much completely different things and they shouldn't be used loosely as, oh, and aspirin is an anticoagulant. It's, it's not. 
it, it doesn't play a therapeutic role mm-hmm. in that sense either. So I guess I just wanted to find this opportunity to just, just slot this in and hopefully it's going to stick in somebody's mind. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, that's a big point, big issue to raise mm. as well. Um, so that's it for um, our episode on the physiology of the clotting cascade. As always, if you have any feedback or suggestions, do let us know. If we've made any glaring mistakes, please let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, normally we're pretty perfect, but just in that <laughs> off chance we're, we're having a bad day, just let us know. Um, this was a pretty tricky topic so if you're still a bit confused we'll have some notes up yep. but also maybe instead of listening to the audio at 1.5 times maybe try to bring it down to 0.5 um, and, and that take, way you can take a pen and paper start drawing it out exactly you'll, you'll, you'll learn it somehow that's right so thanks guys um, uh, the next talk would be on thrombophilia and also hemophilia so that's going to be really interesting and we look forward to having you guys listening to it in our next episode well thank you for joining us and if this is your first time subscribe to us on iTunes Yeah, and we'll catch up with you next time. See you next time. listening to our common rounds podcast you can find all of our episodes notes elective experiences and much more content on our website so come visit us at the commonrounds.wordpress.com and see you next time